week we covered freedom and the freedom that we experience when we're found in Christ and how sin no longer defines us. Because of Christ's gift of his righteousness and the right standing that he gives to those who trust and follow him. Today we're going to cover another topic that is pretty theological and important to our understanding what we as Christians are adopted into when God draws us to himself. We will be discussing the kingdom of God. Many know it as this phrase that's found periodically in the scriptures, but as we're going to see today, it is much more significant to our understanding of God's good news personified in Jesus Christ. So turn with me today to our main passage that we will be in. It's going to be in Matthew chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 1. And this is just a disclaimer, but we're going to look at a few other passages to help us have a broader understanding of what the kingdom of God is all about. So here we go, Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call attention to its buildings. Do you see all of these, he asked? Truly I tell you that not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said. When will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of this age? Jesus' followers and disciples believed that the end of days was coming soon. Jesus predicted that the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed, which it eventually was about 40 years later after Jesus had predicted this. And the disciples, finding what seems like a quiet moment, came and asked Jesus what he meant. So here's how Jesus replied in verse 4. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all the nations because of me. Between Jesus' crucifixion, the temple being destroyed in 70 AD, there were many who came and claimed to be the Messiah. There were wars and famines and earthquakes, which Jesus predicted, and he called the beginning of birth pains. His warning to his disciples is not to be alarmed, even though he says that they will be persecuted, hated because of Jesus, and put to death. Then he says in verse 10, At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Jesus continues with the warnings and the predictions that many will turn away from the faith, and we'll get to that in just a moment, and betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear. But what's a false prophet? It's someone who speaks for God aside from his scriptures. And these false prophets will deceive many people. Oh, Church of the Valley, may we not be a people that are deceived. May we not focus on what we ought not focus on. May we not allow anything but Jesus and his finished work take precedence over our lives. Not even how devoted we believe that we are, or the gifts that God gives us, or our attendance in a building, or our ability to sin a little bit less. This past week in staff meeting, we were studying 1 John, and we read this in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. 
But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So no big deal, just live as Jesus did, which is impossible. Unless you embrace the spiritual reality that being found in Christ is believing that God's grace is sufficient, that his work on the cross and the resurrection from the dead is enough to make you and I righteous. We don't need to add to this. We don't need some special wisdom. We don't need a confirming experience. We need Jesus. And for our perspective, our mind, our lives to be set on Jesus, his work, his grace, his saving nature. Many false prophets don't come in loud, powerful ways. They come in subtle, below-the-radar kind of ways. They say things like the serpent said, did God really say that? Is the gospel enough? Are you really saved just by grace? The scriptures time after time point out that you must believe, you must trust, you must identify with Jesus rather than your sin. And we can miss the gospel, church, one of two ways. We can be looking for something more because we think that grace is too easy. So we believe we must do something in order to earn or pay back our salvation. Or we can think that there is some special knowledge that if we just look hard enough, if we just decipher enough of the mysteries in the Bible, we then can crack some code and become enlightened to what God really is telling the people who believe in him. Well, the former of effort is how religions like Catholicism came to be, because grace seemed too easy. So the question of what could I do to be saved became more important than what God actually said salvation came in. And the latter of trying to crack some secret code is how Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses came to exist because people were convinced that there was some special meaning to we are saved by grace, through faith, and it is a gift of God. And they wanted to add to that. So false prophets who deceive men and women hasn't really chilled out since the first century. And we, like the disciples, ought to take heart that Jesus is as alive today as he was on the third day when he rose from the grave. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 12 and 13, he says this, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus goes on and says, because of the increase of wickedness, the lack of belief of God's work in society, people will grow cold. The lack of examples of people truly following Jesus will start to replicate amongst the culture. But Jesus says those who stand firm until the end will be saved. And the way that you hear this is important. Our evidence of our relationship with God is not about passion. It's about endurance. We've all known people who have gotten super excited about Jesus, but like the seed that sprouts up quickly that Jesus speaks about in the, the uh, parable of the sower, they get scorched by the sun. They get burnt out. And really, their passion for Jesus wasn't spiritual. It was emotional. It wasn't discipleship. It was a fad. And our, but you also need to hear this, that our endurance doesn't bring salvation. Our, endure, or our salvation endures. Do you see the difference? Our endurance doesn't bring salvation. Our salvation endures. Like if we think that by doing something, even during, that that is how we are justified, we miss the good news. But because the good news has justified us, we do endure. 
we not only have the ability to endure or persevere, it actually happens. Our salvation endures as evidence that it is actually salvation. Verse 14, And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The gospel of the kingdom is that men, women, and children of all colors and tongues and tribes and backgrounds can have access to God through the one and only Son, Jesus. And that we, by faith, can trust this message. We can trust our lives to this message, that we can be included in this kingdom, not by living somewhere or by proximity to some place on earth, but through the rule and reign of Jesus, we become adopted children of God. The end will come, the end of days, when the gospel of the kingdom has been preached to all the nations, but this doesn't mean all countries, but to all people groups. This is why we share. This is why we share with our friends and sphere of influence, and we get on planes and fly across the world, and we learn people's dialects and cultures and impress upon them the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the kingdom of God isn't a place. But wherever men, women, and children are that they submit to Christ's lordship, the kingdom of God has taken residence among those people. And church, I have to tell you that the conviction that I've been feeling, that we are an ecclesia, a movement of God's people, we have a commission to share the good news of the gospel so that the kingdom of God can advance. So the rule and reign of Jesus can reach people that we never thought it would reach. The summer is beginning. The pandemic, while not completely over with, is becoming less and less of a deterrent from personal interaction in real life. And we have the opportunity to bring the kingdom of God to people who have no idea who Jesus is. It begins with the gospel of good news. It begins with the answering of this question, why do I love Jesus? I don't know about you, but I love Jesus because he first loved me. I love Jesus because he traded his life for mine. I love Jesus because while I was still dead in my sins, Jesus died for this no good, dirty, rotten sinner named Tim. And because of the faith to believe this good news, I'm eternally grateful to the God who loved me in spite of my wickedness and inability to do anything without selfishness and pride being attached to it. I love Jesus because Jesus lived the life I was unable to live. I love Jesus because he died the death that I deserved to die. I love Jesus because he physically and victoriously rose from the dead, defeating death and sin so that I could have eternal life. And you know what? Not only that, but so that my wife can have eternal life, so that my children can have eternal life, so that you can have eternal life, so that your children can have eternal life, so that your parents and your siblings can have eternal life. This is good news. And it gets better as we receive it and we share it. So church, as the summer begins, can I just encourage you to be paying attention to the places that God is preparing opportunities for you to share the kingdom of God with others? If you don't know what to say, answer this question. Why do you love Jesus? It's not about having all the right words said in the proper order. It's about sharing with others the difference that Christ has made in your life. And that is what a testimony is. And we as followers of Jesus are called to testify. 
and be Jesus's witnesses throughout our sphere of influence. Jesus said this, but you will receive power in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And according to what Jesus says, we don't do this in our own strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells those of us who have received the gospel as sufficient to make us right with God. Here's how Jesus explains this message he has come to bring to the world. He says in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This good news, this gospel, this message is that Jesus came to bring it. It was not yet complete in the fact that Jesus had yet to complete his earthly ministry where he goes and he dies on the cross and he physically rises from the dead, but he will. And for you and I, he's already done this. But wherever Jesus was, the kingdom of God was present. And as he and we proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand, those who listen's responsibility is to believe and to repent to trust and to change direction, to love God and to hate our sin. In Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, it says this, Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God has come in the second person of God to reign and to rule. But the Pharisees did not believe that because like most people, they expected something grandi more grandiose than a carpenter's son who to them was just a makeshift rabbi. Jesus came to establish the kingdom here on earth and where Jesus's lordship is, the kingdom of God is present. So the King James translation is a bit misleading as it's been misinterpreted, in my opinion. It says the kingdom of God is within. What is misinterpreted is that people can take that to mean that we bring the kingdom of God or that we are as important as Jesus. But here is what the translation ought to mean. The kingdom of God is where Jesus has changed the hearts of men to trust and follow him. Where Jesus rules and reigns, freedom in the kingdom of God remains. It's about the rule and reign of Christ. The kingdom of God is about the rule and reign of Christ. It is not about the realm. It is not about the place. It is about the hearts of men, women, and children having the rule and reign of God remain. See, God reigns over everything, but the kingdom of God is the specific exercise of God's reign and rule over evil. We can go to church we can help the poor. We can diet. We can be kind to strangers. We can lead a Bible study. We can be on a board. We can serve in children's ministry or on the worship team and do all of that not under the reign or rule of Jesus Christ. This was not just a New Testament idea either. It was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. In Psalm 103, verse 19, it says this, The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. 
So the kingdom is not a New Testament idea or even a Jesus thing. It's before the foundation of the world was created, God was going to establish his kingdom through a king named Jesus. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. The kingdom of God will remain. The kingdom of God will endure. The church of Jesus Christ in which God is building by making dead people alive and then gathering his people into churches, not buildings, but the people to be sanctified and grown spiritually as we learn and apply God's word. I was telling someone about my sabbatical that starts in a few hours, but who's counting? And she asked me if during my sabbatical, I was going to do what she's known other pastors to do, which was write a book while on my sabbatical. And to be frank, I told her, I don't think that, I just don't think I have anything that important to say. I used to think I did, but as I've grown and as I've matured, my goal as far as being your pastor is to open this book, to read what it says and to do the best job I can to communicate what it means. But see, I'm more than a pastor. More importantly, I'm an adopted son of the God Most High. And as a resident in the kingdom of God, my commission is to advance the kingdom of God. And that could be from a platform or a playground. That could be online or in a coffee shop. My breaths that are left on this earth are finite but the gospel of the kingdom is eternal. And so I pray that while I'm on my sabbatical, that God would be glorified as I rest in him and the sonship that he's given me. And that you as a church community would be taught and led and shepherded by the senior pastor of this church who is truly Jesus Christ and be led by the elders of this community, including Pastor Mike and learn from the teaching team who will be opening his word and explaining the meaning to the best of their ability. Because being part of the kingdom of God is symbolized and expressed as being part of God's church, where those who have received the rule and reign of Christ gather and they grow together. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul has spent chapter 14 of Romans pointing out that some who have what is known as stronger faith will use their liberty to cause someone with a weaker faith to stumble in regards to what type of food that they eat. But I think that this one place where Paul uses the term kingdom of God, it's the only place in the book of Romans, points out practically how the kingdom of God advances here on earth through the believers of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is not advancing by your exercising liberty or even abstaining from things that may cause others to stumble. The gospel of the kingdom of God is not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has already done. But for the believer, the kingdom of God is present in righteousness. Now, there are two ways that righteousness is used in Scripture. It is the right standing that is imputed, probably not a word you use that often, or gifted to believers in Jesus. 
that that righteousness is stamped upon us because of Jesus's finished work and our exercising of faith that he has gifted us. But see, that righteousness, that's about justification. That's about you being justified. That means that you're okay before God, even though without Jesus, you're guilty. But the other way that righteousness is used in the scriptures, it's about sanctification. It's about your spiritual growth. It's about your Christ-likeness as you're starting to look more like Jesus as you put into practice God's word. That's the righteousness that I believe Paul's talking about here, that our acts are right. The ones that are right are increasing through the power of the Holy Spirit leading us in God's truth. So the kingdom of God is not about what you do, but in your spirit-led obedience, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. All three things are things that are gifted by God, through God, and for God. I think we all want peace and joy, but both of those and even our righteousness, they're all gifts that are given to us from God. So instead of us attempting to earn or manufacture ourselves a sense of peace or a sense of joy, it's trusting God at his word, being led by his spirit, practicing his truth. And as we do, righteousness, peace, and joy will be accredited to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what the kingdom of God brings. And who doesn't want to be used by God, through God, and for God's purposes and his plan? Well, someone who doesn't trust God and believe that his gospel, his good news, his grace is sufficient for right standing before him. That grace is too easy or that we must crack some type of code to really understand God. But the kingdom of God is about the reign and rule of Jesus Christ manifested in this world through the spirit-led obedience of his people. And too often we think that somehow you must earn grace rather than have it freely given by God as he chooses. Let me take you to a parable. In Matthew chapter 20, Matthew's going to use the term kingdom of heaven, and it's the exact same term that is used for kingdom of God. And here's how Jesus points out what the kingdom is like. He says in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them, a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the exact same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have done, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? 
take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus begins this parable with the kingdom of heaven and what that is like. Matthew in particular chooses to translate what Jesus says from kingdom of God to kingdom of heaven, possibly because Matthew was a Jew and didn't feel comfortable using the word God out of reverence to the name of God. But Jesus tells this parable to let us know what it's like in the kingdom, that God treats all of his disciples the same because it is not based on their effort, but it's based on God's grace. And this parable highlights the kingdom of God as one where God sets the rules, he flips our natural inclinations upside down, and he is generous and gracious, and that he gives us grace in the fact that he would call any of us to himself. Freedom in the kingdom of God for those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ is about finding joy and peace and righteousness all through the Holy Spirit in our adoption into God's family and his kingdom while he rules and reigns and we trust and follow for the glory of his beautiful name. I want to conclude today's message with the reminder that the elders of COV have gifted me a sabbatical for the next two months. What that means is for the next two months, I will not be working as Pastor Tim, but will be resting as Tim, a sinner saved by grace. The past few years, they've been a lot. The past year, yeah, it's been a lot. The past few months, yeah, it's been a lot. And I'm grateful for elders who know that this church is not mine. It's Jesus's. And he will build his church. So I want to encourage you to continue to engage. I want to encourage you as COVers, if you will, to continue to engage and apply God's word as the teaching team and a few guests teach you from the scriptures and in the series called Freedom. I want to encourage you to engage in community, either officially through the summer community groups that we're offering. So speak to either Mike or Karen Miller about their group or Spencer Chin about the group that he's leading. Or you can engage in community unofficially as we reach out to one another and enjoy time together and spur one another on towards obedience to God's word. My email is going to be forwarded to Robin, so please don't expect an email back from me until August. And my phone will be off for long periods of time, being able to give me some space with the Lord, with my family, and even by myself. Mike will be handling much of what I do, so please be gracious and not overwhelming to him as he's kind of doing two jobs for a bit. The elders and staff are here to support and serve you as a congregation, and I'm excited personally to attend services while also serving in children's ministry so people like my wife, Erin Riley, and Robin can have more support to teach and love our children at COV. So please join us on Sundays if you're able to throughout the summer. And if you're traveling, do your best to check out our playlist that we intend to continue to offer through the entire summer. If you're in at COV, I'd encourage you to continue to give generously towards the work of God at Church of the Valley through your offering. And that's something that you can do by mailing a check to the church campus or going online and doing it through the website as an act of worship. I love you, Church of the Valley family. 
I'm excited to see God grow and stretch our faith this summer and into the fall as we continue to partner for the glory of God's gospel in Santa Clara City and County while making known that Jesus is alive. Let me pray. Father, Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this community. Lord, I thank you that uh, as the the sermon ends and as uh, many of us are going to engage this weekend in your word and in worship and uh, and those in person are going to have a time of meeting together and eating tacos. Lord, I pray that you would continue to do a work in your people. That you continue to bind us together because of the work of your spirit and through the grace of your son. God, would you take whatever offering is given and would you use it for the glory of your name and would you make disciples of all nations and generations and would the kingdom of God advance because of the time that's given up by people that serve you in this community and by the money that people offer to you as a sacrifice to say, God, do with this what you want. Lord, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're at work in us and thank you that we find freedom by being included in the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name.